All right, welcome back to the Max Effort Kitchen. Uh, we have a great uh, For the Love of Food show. I got my my good friend Sarah here. Sarah, how you doing today? I'm doing good, trying to hold on to my fleeting brain cells at the moment. <laughs> oh, I can so relate with you on that. It's been a crazy month. We've we both have had so much going on, and just getting our schedules to align is, um, I'm not going to say a miracle, but it is good. It, it took some work for sure, didn't it? Yes, always on that grind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. and you're, I mean, you're coming up on kind of uh, a pretty, like a three-month grind with, you know, getting, you're about ready to graduate, correct? Yes, all the stuff is like going to start happening. It's yeah. kind of been happening, but... Luckily, yeah. I got a lot of the college stuff um, out of the way as early as I could. So that way, I wasn't like super stressed and like going like crazy last minute. So, so have you made a decision where you're going, or is it like, uh, do you know what's going on? Um, definitely OSU. If I can rack up the scholarships, nice, nice. What kind of scholarships are you going for? Anything I can get my hands on, really. Uh, <laughs> That's the best answer. It's it's interesting because when people are like, yeah, I want to get a scholarship in this, this, and this. And I'm like, well, if you can get your schooling paid for in any possible way, just go for it, right? Yeah. Like go for any scholarship. That's really cool um, and very neat. And so going into college, like what uh, what's your what, what's your initial major going to be? I'm thinking of maybe double majoring in nutrition and food science with a minor in food history. Nice. Um, I don't know if that's too much, but nutrition and food science, they overlap a lot. So they sure do different um, classes. So, well, and I've talked about this a couple times with you, but um, you know, the food science is such a uh, it's an untapped market in the world of, of working in this industry. And what I mean by that is you got like these really high end chefs that do understand the food science. And then yeah. you got chefs that understand flavor. Um, and sometimes those worlds collide, but a lot of the times they're separate. And so, you know, um, I think that it, that's such a uh, having that bank of knowledge is just a very, very huge. It comes at a big value and it'll only make your journey in food so much better. Um, I can speak for myself where I have. I say I would say like this much food science understanding, um, but I do I do some reading and I watch a lot of stuff and I try to build up that bank. But that's one thing that I just uh, I wish I would have taken more taken more seriously in the beginning because um, it, it it's I mean come on cooking uh, uh, food is science really everything that's happening is a scientific experiment yeah right. Oh, that's really cool. Sure, like science and intuition at the same time. Yes. It's really cool. And there's so many levels you can go into with food. Like I always say, it's like such, so vast. You can focus on historical and cultural stuff, like mm -hmm. the science, the flavor, the arts. It's just really amazing. I yeah. <laughs> no, totally. And and I think that it's a good move um, because, you know, a lot of there, there's this idea that if you want to be, in the food world, you have to go to culinary school. And I do think that that is a very, um, it's a very good thing to go to culinary school. And I'm not, I'm not putting that down by any means. Cause I think that there's not only do you get to learn some, some, uh, base technique, 
you get to learn the understanding of the business. Um, but the best part about culinary school that I found was uh, the networking and the people that are in the industry. And then you graduate with this class and you have this class uh, that are spread out amongst the United States or world in some cases, and you have these connections. I have people that work in San Francisco. I know people that work in like Minnesota. I have people that work in Florida. Like I, and then if I go there, I can always call and say hi. Yeah. You know? So, um, and you just kind of have that always that connection that, um, that, that ability to uh, travel and have somebody in that state that you went to school with and that, that connection will always be there. So that's yeah. really neat. Now, um, nutrition, food science, are you uh, planning on doing any culinary school after all that stuff? Um, I definitely plan on yeah, going and getting maybe like a two-year <clears throat> degree at culinary school. Yeah. I'm around finding all these really cool programs. I actually found a food history course in a row. That would be like so cool to go to. Also. Yeah. I'm actually um, – I don't know if I should talk. Well, yeah, it's not a big deal. Um, I am looking into getting my – because I, I have a culinary management degree – um, I'm looking to go back and get my master's through CIA, which, uh, is a really, really cool idea to have a master's in culinary management. And just, I, 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 it excites me, you know, to, to think that what, what that could bring, because I saw what, what my, you know, my two year degree brought, right. It brought this amazing career or at least kickstarted it. But like, I, I just wonder what that level will bring. It's, it's interesting to think about. Yeah. So, uh, what you cooking this weekend? You cooking anything? Okay. So I'm trying this recipe I found online. Um, it's a baking recipe from a 1950s coffee loaf. Quote, the man who doesn't have the time for a cup of coffee and breakfast. Oh, you okay? Well, we'll okay. So this show is going to be primarily about spices, but I want to hear this recipe if, if you don't mind throwing it out. It's really interesting. I already have most of the stuff prepped. I plan to pop it in the oven after we finish up here, and then have nice. um, dessert for lunch because you know why not go against societal standards? Of course. <laughs> but basically it's really it's an instant coffee you literally put a half a cup of instant coffee okay like a half a cup of like the instant coffee ground so this is like 20 cups of coffee right um, another <laughs> half a cup of water you mix it up um then you cream together um a stick of butter three-fourths cups sugar and then a third of a cup of powdered creamer two cups of flour, some cinnamon, two teaspoons of baking soda, and a pinch of salt. Oh, sorry, baking powder. Okay. And then you bake it in the oven. I think it was 375 for 45 minutes. Wait, how much flour was in there? Two cups. Two cups of flour. Okay. And no egg, which I thought was interesting. That's really interesting. That's what I was like going down and I'm like, wait, waiting for it, waiting for it. No egg. Really? This is cool. Okay. So you're going to have to take pictures and send them to me when you, when you do it, please do. Um, that sounds really good. So, and this isn't your traditional, like, you know, we all know about coffee cake. This yeah. is like cake for somebody who wants to basically eat their caffeine. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, It's like a cup and a half of coffee per slice. 
Um, <laughs> I love this. All my coffee addict friends, you know, to get them even more on the coffee grind. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's something that you and I really connect with <laughs> outside of food, which is <laughs> the love for caffeine. Yes, it's us in all of our crazy shenanigans. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, that's great. I was uh, at, what was it? I don't shop at Whole Foods very often, um, but I was doing, I'm doing some R&D uh, for work where I'm creating, um, I'm just kind of tweaking a recipe that I already have for a green goddess salad. And so I was looking for some specific herbs the, nor the store didn't have tarragon. I needed some good-looking tarragon, so I went to Whole Foods. Um, but while I was there, I saw that they had these beautiful um, uh, marbled short ribs, beef short ribs. And so there was like a four-pack of them that could easily feed a family of three or four. Uh, and they were, they were marked down to like $8 a pound. So I picked up a pack. I'm going to do a braised short rib. Uh, either I'm either going to do a garlic mashed potato or a cheesy uh, polenta with it, oh, uh, demi glace, uh, pan sauce, and uh, some roasted carrots, some harissa roasted carrots. So that's kind of going to be my fun experiment playing with. Um, but on the the reason why I'm bringing that up is because um, with the pan sauce, I'm actually going to use um, some brewed espresso oh, in the pan good. sauce. I love that. I was just thinking beef and coffee would be really good together. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I'm not going to post this show before I make it. So Alana doesn't know I put it in there because uh, that way she will uh, eat it and, and love it all day. She's the type of person that if she knows the ingredients, she kind of like approaches with reservation. But if she doesn't know and I just put it in front of her, she'll eat it up. So That's my brother, I yeah. love him. Yeah, I, yeah. Brown turkey in his favorite lasagna for four years straight. He hates turkey. He never knew. I told him <laughs> I love that. I love that we can disguise ingredients to uh, yeah. be something that it is uh, that nobody knows about. Yeah. So okay, uh, we've been kind of working on this uh, the show about spices, and we really wanted to talk about like just kind of the origin of spices and you uh, you have this beautiful book that you were showing me um, that you've done all this research with. And I think you should just, uh, I'm going to give you the mic and I'm going to let you go, but tell us about the spices. Tell us about your research. Okay. Yay. Okay. Sarah spotlight time. So <laughs> the first thing is um, the, uh, we're not referring to spices as like, you know, flavorings like curry tarragon, right. all this stuff. We're talking about the sensation of spice, which is actually referred to as pungency. Yes. Um, and this is usually the most common form of pungency is triggered by um, the chemical capsicin, which attaches to the TRVP1 receptors in yep. um, our mouths, which signals burning sensations to the brain. And capsicin is found primarily in chili peppers of all sorts of varieties. Yep. But the really interesting thing is um, capsicin chili pe peppers, most spice was not native to like um, Europe, Africa, Asia. It was primarily in the um, Mexico area of and upper part of um, South America. Okay. Which 
is really crazy to think about because um like in Asian cuisine, African cuisine, Indian cuisine, all of these cuisines, you know, are very spice heavy. Right. Um, so how did the spice get from um you know Mesoamerica all the way over? Um, and that's not to say like some other there was some pungency um local to like in Asia, like in a lot of like in Europe, peppers, which contain pepin, so like Sichuan pepper, black peppercorn, green peppercorn in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's more of a numbing sensation. But yeah. like classic chili with capsicum, you know, it just like was not anywhere in the old world. It was all in the new world. So um, that's a that's a really good point. I'm going to back you up a little bit to um, <clears throat> talking about the receptors because uh, this is something that I am very um, – keyed into when I'm tasting my food. You know, we always talk about tasting your food as you're making it, right? And there's certain spots on your tongue where you actually taste the things. And so what you're talking about in that T1 receptor is left side right here on your tongue, right? Left front side of your tongue. You got me? Yeah. Okay. Okay. It just, the screen froze, but I'm going to leave it. I'm just going to keep on talking because I can hear you. (laughs) So um, it's that top left area of your tongue. And that's, those are those receptors that initially heat it. Now you're probably thinking, oh, when I put spice in my mouth, it, (laughs) it burns my whole mouth. Yes, it does. But the flavor and what she's talking about hits on your tongue in that area. So just wanted to bring up that little clip and I want you to uh, go forth. Actually, um, makes me think because like a lot of different forms of spice affects the mouth in different ways. Correct. Like some of it, like you feel it in the back of your throat or on the tip of your tongue, and that's probably due to the type of chemical um, and the type of way it affects the different receptors of your mouth, which is which I haven't researched, but now I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really interesting, um, and you learn a lot about it when you're like when we're tasting wine and we're doing those kind of things because the different tannins that hit where they hit in your mouth is based off the the age of the wine, the the type of grape, and all that stuff. So that's a whole nother subject. But let's go back to spices. So let's see. Um, where was I? Oh yeah, I was talking about you know how it got over from the old world. So Mm -hmm. spice actually didn't leave on the new world, which is like um, the Americas and I believe Africa um, until Christopher Columbus in 1492 via the Columbus exchange. Right. 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 He didn't bring it over to the whole world, but he brought it over to Spain where then um, I believe it diffused into Italy and, you know, the rest of Europe. But what really was interesting is it was the Portuguese who brought spice over to um, Asia and Africa. And what happened was um, they actually didn't have, they had an agreement not to go into the New World, but they snuck into Brazil and picked up some chilies. And then they brought it to India and it diffused down um, from um, India into um, Asia and then from Asia into, um, I believe, Africa. So it's like okay. this whole chain re- in reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I'm going to review my many, many notes because I got a little bit excited and read like <laughs> eight articles. I like it. I like it. Okay. Yeah. So it's actually really interesting because when you think about like where spice took its roots, it's very much has to do with historical factors. Mm-hmm. Like in Germany, 
um, Germany, like, they don't really have a lot of spice at all in their, like, cuisine. Correct. And that is because of, like, um, because during the Columbus Exchange, there was a Protestant, um, forma- like, reformation in Germany, and they didn't want anything to do with countries that practice Catholicism. So they had, like, closed borders, so they didn't really get spice very much. See, that that's such an interesting fact, because... Um, <clears throat> Well, I think we, you know, there's, there's a kind of like that base level of understanding and talking about food and and all that. But then you start, as you start to dive deeper, you really start to understand that um, a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of where our food came from was from the other side of the pond, right? Yeah. Talking, you know, and I mean, we are, uh, I guess, essentially a, um, America is a country of immigrants to start. Um, and that's kind of how we started and everything we've gotten has come over from there, but how much influence on food, it comes from politics, from religion, from understanding different cultures, like the different cultures. It's just, it's kind of mind blowing that something so far away from food can influence what we have, uh, what we have in food and what we can, uh, create and evolve in food. Just, just an interesting fact. I always think it's like so amazing everything that happened, all the human ingenuity and politics and geography that simmered down to like the food in front of you on the plate. I've probably said this before, but it's just absolutely mind blowing mm-hmm. when you think about all the human efforts of the past that went in to the creation and developments of what is now today cuisine wise. Yeah. yeah, I agree. It's it's really interesting and that's why I love this show is because you bring so many like really cool facts about it. So go forth with what you are talking about there. So it's actually really interesting because like in Asian cuisine, like it really took roots really fast. I'm talking like a hundred years. It just like went bam and it, and it got really popular. And mm-hmm. when you think about it, it's because they already had access to a lot of pungency and foods that paired well, like right. ginger and garlic. Yep. Um, so they were used to those sensations and they just, they were just like, it's a, and it really drew them. It was like a new way for them to experience it. Um, and like, and a lot of the climate paired really well for growing chilies, but Japan is the mystery because um, Japan didn't really take a lot of spice into their cuisine. It's present, but not a lot. Interesting. And it was brought over directly by the Portuguese with tempura and sugar. Okay. So they're okay. like, and some people think it's the climate, but for some weird reason, they already had all these these things that paired well, but they just didn't take to it like some of their neighbors. Okay. Um, and port and the Portuguese actually didn't. They like again, spice is present, but not at the level you'd think it would be, considering they had such a hand in its distribution throughout the world. Right. You you know you think of of the Portuguese culture, and you're you're like you know. To me, I think spices. I think um, bold, spicy, um, just very like pungent. Good yeah. word. Uh, you know, and so that's an interesting fact that, like, you know, that they're not actually. So, if I'm understanding, they're not. Um, they they're not using these spices, but they are distributing them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's crazy to me. Right. <laughs> so it's a business almost. It's not even. It's not like oh, this is our the the spice of our culture. This is the spice that we we create uh, e-commerce with, basically. Or yeah. you know, it's it's a it's a way to a source of revenue. 
it's also really interesting because um, sweet peppers really didn't exist, but Hungary loved peppers. So they, in the 1800s, they started breeding milder versions, and that's where we get like bell pepper, sweet paprika from. Interesting. <laughs> I like that. And well, all and just for just for our audience sake, I'm sure Sarah, you know this. All paprika is is uh, bell pepper. You know, yeah. it's just ground up dried bell pepper into a spice and or into a powder form. And it's funny because when I first, oh, I would say early, early on before even school and all that, I just, I never understood. It's like, it's like the, like the bay leaf, the yeah. bay leaf. I, you just don't know what it does because you, you put a bay leaf in your mouth and it doesn't taste good. But what it is doing is it's bringing um, almost an acidic uh, and I don't want to say umami, but like herbaceous flavor to your broth, to whatever you're putting it in. But you eat that thing whole and it tastes like a leaf. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not good. Um, but again, like with paprika, like you just never kind of knew. You tasted it and you're like, I don't know what this is. But um, when it's intertwined with other ingredients, when it's put onto things like meat, um, it it's like uh it's like when when you put on like a perfume or a cologne right um every cologne or perfume is going to smell differently on people because it mixes with their natural oils and so this is what spice brings to meat or what paprika brings to meat is when it's mixed with it it's bringing it's combining to bring a whole new level of uh flavor that you wouldn't get on it on on the own of each of them does that make sense yes and okay. that's actually I was thinking about a fun fact that I wrote down um, because different spices amplify different um, flavors, like not yes. like pungency spices. Yes. Um, and that's some of the reasons they took such a hold because like they were like elevating and like, and like mixing with like all of these classic spices from these different cuisines. Yeah. Um, and let's, I mean, let's talk a little bit about like <clears throat> what spices do uh, for your taste. Because, um, and this is an interesting story, but like uh, Maddie, when she was really young, you know, she still struggles a lot with food. And uh, one thing that the doctor had us do was like say, hey, what I want you to do is take some, start mild with the spices, put a little bit on your, um, on your pinky and just put it on her tongue. And what that does is, or what that, what that started to do was wake up her senses. Cause it's like, and, and cause what spices do is they, um, they, they open up the vessels. They wake up your senses to be able to, um, taste these different flavors. Right. Yeah. And so, um, it was like, we were waking up her mouth with different types of spices. Now, did she like it? Absolutely not. But what it led to was to be able to approach food, um, in the sense of like waking, my mouth is wake. Now yeah. I can, now I can taste this peanut butter on a waffle better or something like that, you know? Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, are you familiar with an aperitif? Um, I don't think I am. So an aperitif is a, it's generally a drink and it's something that um, you'll get at these uh, a little bit more like bigger course dinners, right? They serve an aperitif in the beginning and what, sometimes it's alcoholic, sometimes it's not alcoholic. Um, but what it's meant to do is it's meant to open up your your glands, open up your taste buds, get your mouth ready to eat. It creates uh, saliva. It 
it, uh, it basically preps your, your palate. Okay. Um, and so I did an, uh, we did one last weekend where, where I, I, I forget what I cooked. Um, oh, I cooked some, uh, some salmon. Okay. So, but I did an aperitif before and all I did was I took fresh ginger, uh, crushed pineapple, and I put it in a blender, blended it up, strained it with a fine mesh strainer to create, get the juice out of it, put it in. And, and literally you don't need much. I put it in like about a shot glass each a little cayenne pepper on top. Um, and then a sliced strawberry, you know, in there. So you're supposed to shoot it, take the strawberry. And what that did was it opened up everything and allowed us to taste the fish that I made in just a different way. And so, and so whenever you're like serving, like if you're making a dinner and you're like, I really want this, uh, to be, you know, I want, I want this experience to be a little bit different, right? Try that. Try, you know, try making an look up aperitifs, look at and see what, what you find. There's all kinds of recipes and generally they're very, very simple. Um, but the idea is, is it opens up your senses. It opens up all the glands and it's like, all right, we're ready to eat. And your food will taste different. It's really cool. It's actually funny because I've thought about that before and I've played, I never knew what an aperitif was. Yeah. But I was always like, what if I pair drinks and I layer courses when I do do course meals? Yes. Yes. I layer them so they lead into each other and kind of open up and build on one another to add to the experience. Like the other day I did, I think I did a Korean inspired roast. It was a gokujang cherry roast with, I think, rosemary. Nice. Um, and I like made like um, gokujang um, Hawaiian rolls and like all this stuff. And I stirred the meal off by making a pineapple green tea um, to kind of, like, open up the palate because like the acids, like it just really, I've noticed yeah. that it really wakes you up. Mm-hmm. And it does. And uh, I, I love that you did that. The, a tea, that, that's a fantastic aperitif. You know what else is a good one is a sorbet of some, like a citrus sorbet. Oh, yes. that, that also is known as cleansing the palate. Like you could do that in between courses. So, and a lot of times you'll see like um, they'll serve, you know, the aperitif, uh, maybe some sort of mousse um, bouche and then like, and then we'll go like to an appetizer course, and then you get the cl- uh, the palate cleanser, which is sometimes I, I you know it could be a citrus sorbet, it could be a mint sorbet, it could just be um, some you know some sort of drink, but it also helps. It cleanses everything, and it opens up the senses, and it allows you to taste your food a little bit better. Yeah. So if you're trying to impress anybody out there, you know, go just start with a lemon sorbet and see what happens. You know, start, and this is something that. I talk or I do a lot in my career when I'm developing a recipe, start at the very basic. So like you're making croutons. Okay. What do we know? What, what do I know? I want croutons to have, I want them to have the texture. I want them to have, to have the crunch um, or the, 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 the crunch on the out, outside and this kind of soft on the inside. Cool. So I'm going to start there and make those. Now I want to throw some flavor. Well, let's start with garlic, make a garlic oil, toss them in garlic oil, cook them start there. And then I start to like really build on these flavors. Well, what goes with garlic? Let's do some rosemary, some herbaceous, throw some rosemary in there, cook them off. Now we got garlic, rosemary texture. Okay. What else can I throw in here? Maybe some lemon zest, 
at the very end, right? And so you see how you're like building flavors from the basics. But yeah. in order to do that, you got to kind of understand the base, the basics of the product. And because you can't, a lot of people will be like, oh, I want to build a recipe. So I'm going to jump to the very top, the most technical run, right? So let's start on the basics. I, and I think you're past this a little bit, but I, I just for people out there, like if you want to build something, if you want to create something of your own, and especially in this this talk of spices, right? Yeah. We really start at the basics. Understand how different spices taste together. A lot of times I'll take and I'll, I'll just mix the spices and taste them raw. It's not going to give you the exact flavor, but what it is it's going to do is it's going to give you an understanding of how these things mix. Yeah. So you can like just see how it develops. I always right. say understand when it, because people ask me, how do you get good at cooking? And it's like, oh, do you have like five hours? Um, I, mean, <laughs> I always tell them, by just sticking to the recipes, understand the basics so you know what happens and why it happens and then go from yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got, you got friends that are wondering how, just tell them to listen to this podcast. They'll get all the knowledge from you. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Uh, that was a selfish plug, by the way. <laughs> um, so, okay, let's get back to spices. Uh, where did you leave off there? <laughs> I, oh, I took us on a tangent. I got really excited. Um, let's see. Back back to my little notebook. I need to come up with a name for my notebook. I like to name things. We gotta. I, I have a notebook, too. It's just like I just wrote Max Every Kitchen on it. So, in fact, I was going through it today, and I was, like, seeing all the old stuff that I've done throughout the years of this show, and it's really neat. Yeah. yeah. I know what I'll name my book. I'll name it Pungency. There you go. I love that. That's fantastic. That's a good, that's a good one. So with spices, um, you know, we were, we were talking to kind of, I think you left off with the Portuguese and like, I don't know if you can hear my sister in the background. But... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your sister's awesome. I love yes, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. Okay. I figured it out. All right. So a big question is why do people actually like spicy food and how has a um, plant that has ha that hurts people, how has it survived, you know, throughout mm -hmm. history? If mm -hmm. it like doesn't have like somebody to eat it and spread the seeds. Well, right. for the last one, the answer is birds don't have spice receptors. So Interesting. Eat the um, capsicum fruits because the chilies are technically fruits, if you did not know. Um, yes. And then they would be able to, you know, spread the seeds far and wide because the magical powers of flight. I mean, and then <laughs> yeah. the big why do we like spice is a mystery that, you know, we have been trying to solve, you know, for ages. There have been right. tons of scientific studies and all this stuff, and it's still kind of unresolved. There are many theories. One theory is um, it's due to capsicin's ability to kill bacteria. So it was mm -hmm. used to preserve old foods and, you know, make sure that spoiled meat could actually be utilized. Right. But um, that is refuted because people think that um, because it, you acquire such a large amount of capsicin to actually kill mm -hmm. bacteria. Right. The other one is it is used to help people cool down by triggering like your, you know, your sweat reactions, but mm -hmm. that's also a me me metabolically high, um, you know, process for cooling off. Correct. But so a lot of people think it's like a fusion of, of everything. Um, yeah. 
and that it also is in fact due to culture it's like a vesticle trait you know like the human tailbone we ate spice for multiple reasons to help us survive until we developed an enjoyment of it um that has carried on throughout the ages i like that you know um there's also another uh aspect which is there is a there's a, a a spot or an area when you have had like enough spice i guess a level of spice in one sitting that will cause um, an euphoric kind of feeling. And this is interesting. I've only felt it once and I did, there's a, there's a restaurant over in Southwest Portland called Salvador Molly's. And this restaurant has what's called um, the great balls of fire. And what they are, are they, there's five, no, six, habanero balls, habanero fritters. They're about that big. They're about the size of a meatball. And on the middle of that is a habanero uh, uh, salsa. And I think throughout the entire recipe, they use something like 24, 25 habaneros to make this. Wow. And it's a challenge. And and it used to be this thing where if you, if you could finish it, you'd get your picture taken and put it up on the wall, right? This is the one and the last or the first and the last challenge food challenge that I've done. Um, but I did it. I did it. You know, we were, I was there with Alana and we were some friends and we're like, we should do this. So me and a buddy each got one. And I'll, I'll tell you, I going through the process of eating these things. Um, I wasn't feeling euphoric at all, <laughs> but um, I ate all six of them. They make you eat, they make you eat all the salsa too, and so I had to um, begrudgingly. I had to drink the salsa at the end, and it was. Oh. <laughs> um, but anyways, I was we were driving home, and I'm like Alana, you're driving. We we're driving home, and I remember being in the car going down the highway and just feeling this like really like floaty, euphoric like really happy feeling come on me. And I was like, at that time, I didn't know, you know, I was, I was pretty young. I think I was like 24 at that time. And at that, so I didn't know, I didn't know what was happening. Um, later, later on, I, I kind of found out that like these, the, the way that like um, capsaicin really hits you is it, it can be used as a euphoric thing and it can, they used to use it. Um, I say they, uh, it, it has been used as uh, almost like a drug um, and to put yourself in this like euphoric state. Um, but also another thing about capsaicin is uh, they sell it in the cream form and in the world of weightlifting, weightlifters will put it on their muscles to wake up the muscles. Like they'll do it before a competition. They'll have somebody rub it on their back to really be able to engage their back in um you know these competitions so there's so many uses for this this beautiful thing of capsaicin right like i never thought about it like that yeah you can actually go on amazon and buy capsaicin cream and it's like it's like icy hot on you know times 25 (laughs) it's crazy now just for no reason Yeah, I know. If you ever want to get like, you know, you know, prank your brother or something, go get some yes, of that. Stuff. Yes, I love that. Oh my god. He's going yeah. down. It's my yeah. turn. <laughs> so um, you know, I think spices are a very uh they're a very complex uh product and they can be used in so many different ways. Um 
And, uh, you know, that everything from business to euphoric stage, like that, that's just such a vast, um, area that, that it holds up in this culinary world. We could really go on forever. Oh my we God. Could. I do tons of research now. Like, yeah, I know, right. Yeah. It's fun. Pages of notes here, but I need to feel satisfied. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Um, but you know, for anybody listening, I would say get out there and just try the different spices. One yeah. of my favorite things to do is to go to, and we have a handful of these in Portland, um, is just to go to a spice store and that, that, all they sell is spices and it's so interesting. And you're going to, you're going to see things that you've never heard of. And, and most of the time, the people who are working there are pretty knowledgeable about it. And so, um, you know, go in there, get a spice, make a, make a spicy ice cream, make a, you know, spicy bread or, or do something with spice. I love you know, uh, doing different combinations of chai spice. I don't know if you're a fan of that, but, um, if you are, there's a uh, restaurant, it's actually a donut shop named Pips. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. Do okay, it's up in Northeast, off uh, Northeast Fremont. And they serve these beautiful little uh, donuts, handmade. They, they usually have, uh, there's like seven of them that they serve. But on top of that, they have a six or seven different drink menu. And it's all different chives. I love that. It's beautiful. And I, I highly recommend you go. Now, if you do go, don't go on a Saturday morning. You because generally it's it's like the salt and straw thing. There's a line around the block. Uh, go go like middle midweek, you know. Um, it's a little bit of a drive from where we're at, but it's so worth it. And okay, they do school. We have early release. Yes. Live, we go vroom vroom. <laughs> Yeah, you should definitely do it because, um, you know, their donuts, they do like a, a sea salt and uh, beehive honey donut. They do like a Nutella donut. There's a there's a bacon compote they put on one of them, but they're all made to order. And you can see them making them. They're just dropping them in the oil. They're, they're like, like they're like little guys. So they're super fresh. Oh they're super flavorful. You got to check them out. It's a great company, too. I um. Last week, I made cumin um, jalapeno chocolate chip cookies. They were amazing. My dad didn't what? like them. Said, really? Spice should not be in co- my chocolate chip cookies, Sarah. And I said, well, that's just because you're not spicy. <laughs> oh, that, okay. <laughs> Say it again. Cumin, what was it? It was cumin crispy jalapeno um, dark chocolate chip cookies. Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. Can- Amazing. Either can you send me that recipe by any chance? Yeah. Because I would love to try that out. That sounds fantastic. Me and my friend finally perfected our chocolate chip cookie recipe yesterday. By the way, uh, so. I have I have a uh, a pretty. I, I actually did an episode on chocolate chip cookies, and I'm telling you, and you know this, but the method is everything. Yes, the method is everything. There's and, so much you can do and try and just like. Oh. Yeah. I'm telling you, like uh, just a uh, to be able to cook a chocolate chip cookie that hits all the notes and the senses, it, it's a beautiful thing. Yes, yes. I took, I think it's been literally six years of me developing a chocolate chip cookie recipe. It's yeah. one of those things where you try and try like brownies and chocolate cake. Those are the other two. Mm. Chocolate cake, I haven't messed with much. Um, brownies, 
<laughs> brownies, oh are God, fun. brownies are so personal though like yes yes i agree over their brownie choices i'm yeah. just saying yeah um baking is a is a complete science and it's something that challenges me to my core and i love it and that's why i love doing it um because it just like i said it's all in the process it's yeah. all in the method and the technique and the process you can have the most beautiful uh ingredients but completely mess up the recipe if you don't follow the technique and the and the process um but anyways all right we're we're sitting at about 40 minutes so that's about time um sarah thank you very much for being here i'm so glad we're able to get our our schedules to connect um it's been yeah it's been a long haul yeah uh so our next show i'm I'm gonna say it probably won't be until april because if we're to follow our normal thing it's gonna land right on the competition where i'm out of town so let's plan on like first or second week of april for our next show and uh, we can talk off air kind of what that looks like um okay sounds good I just sent you uh, the link to Pips as well, just so you can experience that. Maybe you guys go on spring break or something or with early release. So anyways, uh, everybody, thank you for listening. Sarah, thank you for being here. Um, This was a great show. um, And um, I look forward to our next one. Me too. Thanks again for having me. It's always fun. Yes, absolutely. All right. Adios.